Hello and welcome to this Spiritual Fix, Episode 11, Season 2. Today we're going to be talking about mantras, mirror works, amulets, and anchors. Stay tuned for an enriching conversation. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. How's it going? It's going. It's going really good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Not bad. I'm excited about summer and enjoying everything. We have our RV, which is oh so exciting. Uh, and we are going on a little mini vacation, not even 15 minutes from our house. Really? That'll yeah. be fun. I really want to see photos of this RV. It sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll give you a video later on today. And I, I feel very lucky to have it and, and are able to do it. And so I'm excited. Mostly I'm excited because it's been like a lifelong dream of mine to have one because I love kits. Like I used to be the one that always bought the kit of like, spells when I was a kid or I was the one who always bought the it's like kit. a big kit it's a mobile kit <laughs> it's a mobile kit <laughs> I literally have everything I need in a very small space and I'm very excited about it I love it it's like a um poly pocket <laughs> <laughs> it's like a poly pocket and that's what it feels like too there's a huge learning curve with them so it's kind of funny in that way um but yeah so that's good and then also I've been doing some really fun work with um, my dowsing teacher. I've mentioned him before when I mentioned the person who hadn't eaten for 24 years uh, in our previous episode. And it was interesting because he's got so much really fascinating I information. And I'll kind of just explain a little bit more about what he does and what I've done in the past is that when I first learned how to do energetic healing, I learned it through releases which was basically a prayer to God that said that you're already healed, right? That was kind of it in a nutshell. And it worked. Like, it was amazing how much it worked. It worked on me, and then it worked when I did it for other people. I was able to, to douse, like, to use my, um, my instinct and my muscle testing to basically see if somebody had something wrong with them. And then I could – sometimes I was good at the diagnosis and I wasn't good at the release, but – I kind of learned how to do that, and I remember um, one of my uh, one of my really close friends. Uh, she had a, a headache that was due to barometric pressure, and I released it for her, and it like immediately went away. And she looked at me with wide eyes. I feel like she never looked at me the same way again after that. I was like, "Oh, cool, this is awesome." And so that's how we started out. But then I kind of I moved away, and I fell out of favor with the teacher, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, which is a totally different story. It's like a longer story, but going back to this dowser, I really felt energized again to start doing this work because he does the same thing. He basically is able, dowsing can let you, if you ask the right questions, and it's a combination of intuition and yes or no answers. So asking the right question and then getting the right yes or no answer and trusting and basically intending that that is not going to be swayed by anything else, like not by your desire to have a certain outcome. You can kind of discover all sorts of stuff about what is ailing people. 
And I'm not talking about like, I have a headache. It's like, it definitely goes back closer to like the root cause of things. So the things that I've started doing releases on every morning for people is things like the spin of their brain is backwards, right? So a lot of people, and this is really interesting in relation to the drama triangle, I've been doing a little experiment that people who are very actively in the drama triangle or in victim consciousness are usually their brains are spinning counterclockwise. They are supposed to be spinning clockwise. So is it cerebral spinal fluid or chakra? I think it's energy. Yeah. I think it's chakra energy. Okay. Um, But we also do releases that put full blood back in the brain and things like that. And obviously I am not a medical professional. And so this is something that, uh, you know, I'm, (laughs) I don't, I'm not licensed to practice medicine, so this is energy work 140%. Uh, right. So for anyone listening, this is Chris talking, not Anna. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's been really fun. I dispossessed, which means I like exercised, if you want to call it that. I exercised the entire town of Milledgeville where I live. <laughs> that I was love fun. it. Oh, they probably all came to Atlanta. <laughs> Well, I send them back to where they came from. I know. I'm, um, uh, which was Atlanta. <laughs> which was Atlanta, right? That's hilarious. But I mean, you know, because there's all this history with the Central State Hospital, which was really strange when I went to this conference, actually. It was this really nice synchronicity is that, you know, no, who was, who's heard of Milledgeville? Like, if, you, if you're not from Georgia, then you haven't. The only reason you will have heard of Milledgeville is because you're in an older generation and someone were like, hey, if you don't if you don't straighten up, you're going to be sent to Milledgeville, right? Because Central State Hospital used to be the largest insane asylum in the entire world at one point. It has an entire town around it. It has oh all God, its own it services. really need to be depossessed. It really needed to be depossessed. And what happened when it shut down is they just released all the mental patients into Milledgeville. Um, that is not unilaterally true, and I definitely. But that's basically when I've read up on it. That's what they're saying that happened is that a lot of people just never had anybody claim them. And that's what happened. So it's a really interesting town. And the crazy thing is that the campus, like the, the actual main buildings, are not even a mile as the crow flies from my house because I live further down the river on the other side of the river. Like there's a huge river that goes through um, Milledgeville. And it's like it's exactly across the river as the crow flies from where I live. So I feel like I'm uniquely placed very close to this and in a town doing this, I'm, it's kind of exciting for me. So yeah. I have a little a mental ward uh, ghost story for you. Ooh! When I was a student at Emory, I had a on-campus job, which was at the Continuing Education Building on Briarcliff, which used to be the old psych ward. And I was like on the top floor, which I don't know, seven stories up, but uh, there was bars on all the windows because of the psych patients. So it was just like really creepy to be in this very old, old building surrounded by windows that were like extremely barred to prevent, you know, suicide or whatever. And that building gave me the creeps. And this was before I would know how to do releases. And I did not like going to the building, but I did my job. Well, one day I was there and it was after hours because I was like doing some independent work and everyone else had gone home. And I'm like, well, I'll just stay because I haven't finished my project. So I was all alone in this creepy ass, uh, you know, mental health building that like it was, you know, I guess it closed down the mental health part in the 70s, I'm guessing. Like the architecture was the like the 60s, 70s. It was just yeah. a creepy, dark building. And I was in there and I kept hearing the water go on in the bathroom. 
And I like got up and turned it off because I thought, well, maybe someone like, I thought maybe another employee forgot to turn it off or maybe I had forgot to turn it off or whatever. So I turn it off and I go back to work and then I hear like clunk and I go and I, then I hear the water running again. And like, it happened one more time, like two more times, the water faucet just turned on its own. And I was all, I'm getting the fuck out of here. (laughs) It was creepy. That is creepy. Was this the one that's on Briarcliff? Yes. Yes. So I used to live not even five minutes from there. Like I used to live in the apartment complex when I was when I was a kid. Like I lived in the apartment complex next to there, and that is a super creepy building. That it is is totally haunted. Totally creepy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, little ghost story to start us. But going back to what you said about you have to ask the right question to get your dowsing answer ties mm-hmm. really well into today's episode, which is about mirror work and mantras and how important it is like not to ask the right questions, but to find the right mantra. Cause you can be saying the, the wrong mantra for years and not get anywhere. So it's really important to pick the right mantra, which is what we're talking about today. Yay. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really good episode for anyone who does mirror work, mantra work, or even goal setting. So we're going to talk about how you can anchor your subconscious mind to align with your conscious mind to bring you your goals or your mantra manifestations, whatever. It's going to be awesome. I could always use that. Yes. All right. So first I wanted to give just a little bit of a history of mirror work. So for anyone who doesn't know, there was a woman named Louise Hay who wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life in 1984. And it was a huge bestseller, over 50 million copies in print worldwide. And it was one of those gateway books that we've discussed. Like, I think I read that when I was 15 or 16 and it kind of put me on the spiritual path. Like that was probably the first spiritual book I ever read, you could say. And um, it's awesome. So for anyone who doesn't know, Louise Hay was a woman who was um, an ex-model, an ex-victim of abuse, sexual and other, and she also had cancer. And she herself says that she was able to heal all her self-esteem issues and eating disorder and cancer through mirror work, through positive affirmations and looking in the mirror and loving herself. And I'm not sure if she went through traditional cancer therapies. I believe in the book, she doesn't. She discovered that the causes of her cancer were actually from her mind. So she decided to heal her mind. Yeah, that's basically it. Then she went on to- That's huge. I mean, that's that's, huge. That's a huge undertaking. It's not only a huge undertaking, but it's also very huge to- be able to come to that conclusion unilaterally and then use your intention to be able to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a massive insight. Like there's maybe not, but to be the first person to write the book about that, like seems like a big deal, right? Cause that's what I was talking about earlier. Like dousing is healing with intent. Yeah. Well, I have a a similar story with one one of my best friends who, you know, had cancer. She was diagnosed very young with cancer and she ended up getting um, both her breasts removed and, and then it, but she did not undergo chemo and radiation because she told the doctor, you might know about disease, but I know about healing. So she decided to undertake her own healing and she did a hypnosis where she tried to understand the origin of the mental origin of why she got cancer. And she went back to a memory when her mom was sitting in an abortion clinic with her in utero and she was about to get an abortion and she ends up leaving the clinic and deciding not to have the abortion. And in her mind, fetal baby, my best friend, my other best friend (laughs) says to herself, you were going to kill me. Fuck you. I'm going to die when I'm young to make you suffer. So she actually created the cancer in her to punish her mother for almost 
taking her life. The And my friend was the second born of three. So if you want to think logically, you could think that the firstborn would be aborted or the last one would be aborted. But to think that a middle child would be aborted doesn't make sense, right? Because it's like, it's clearly just following this path. So like, it didn't logically make sense. So she goes to her mom and she says, mom, I had this memory that you were sitting in an abortion clinic and da, da, da. And her mom goes completely pale. She goes, oh my God, that happened. And the mom couldn't believe the, the mom didn't tell her, you know, like she didn't, wow. the mom could not believe that she remembered the story when she was just a little fetus. And the mom said that what happened was, is that the mother had given birth to the firstborn. Then she got pregnant with the secondborn and she was actually going to leave her husband, but she was sitting in the abortion clinic and she decided she's going to, she's going to keep the baby and make it work. And it did work. And then she went on to have the third child which was why the story didn't match up with logic, but it did match up with her memory. So anyways, she healed that in her. She forgave her mother. Her mother and her had a great cry. And she decided not to go the route of traditional medicine, which I am not advocating as a medical health professional, but I mm. do think it's wonderful as a spiritual person. And it's been, um, gosh, almost 20 years and she's cancer-free. Wow. Beautiful children. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways... Going back to the main story, got off a tangent there. Yep, that was me. Go ahead. <laughs> so Louise Hay pioneered the mirror work. She says doing mirror work is one of the most loving gifts you can give yourself. She advocates that for 21 days in an organized thematic way, like you pick a theme, you look in the mirror every day and you say a mantra or you talk to yourself in a loving way and you can you have to monitor yourself talk for the rest of the three weeks, like during that three week period, you need to monitor self talk, make sure that you're speaking kindly to yourself. And she says that with this technique, you can overcome fear, release anger, heal relationships, heal diseases, forgive yourself and others. And mirror work has since gone on to be very popular. You can find a lot of coaches that advocate for mirror work, which is looking in the mirror. I mean, a very simple one would be looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. I love you. I love you over and over and over again. And it can be in a very emotional thing as you have blocks in there. And Louise Hay in her book, You Can Heal Your Life says, you know, if you can't really tap into saying, I love you, you can say, I'm willing to be open to loving myself. So she talks about like taking the baby steps. Like maybe you're not ready to forgive your abuser, but you can say, I'm open to being ready to forgive my abuser. Like be honest, you know, and, and slowly move forward into that. So that is the basic history of mirror work. Do you have anything to contribute to that, Chris? No. Uh, well, actually I do. It's funny you say that. I had a, recently I was with a client and I recognized that they needed to do mirror work because it felt like there was something it, it turned out that they had a synchronicity that just the night before our session, they had been watching a TikTok about how mirrors when placed opposite one another are portals, things like that. So it was like fresh in their mind, which is probably what I picked up on and gave them an, uh, an exercise for. But what I noticed was that by doing the mirror work, it was almost as if you were able to reflect back another part of yourself. Like it made it easier for people to do higher, higher consciousness exercises, things like that, things where, you, you know, the person in the mirror or you acts as a different person. And then you're able to combine those two because you realize that you're actually the same. So I feel like it's, it's just, it, it provides a lot of magical opportunity and shamanic experience mirrors do. Yes. I like that. Well, then moving on, we're going to talk about a mantra. So basically with mirror work or mantra work, 
you pick a goal or an affirmation and you say it over and over and over again until it becomes habituated and real to your brain. So you have basically the conscious mind and the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind never turns off. That's the part of you that is constantly aware of everything. You take a shower, it's aware of every single little droplet falling on your skin, even though you might just experience it as gush of water. It is constantly on. It's monitoring your dreams. It's watching everything. Now, our conscious mind is the mind that goes in and out of different states of, of awareness. And we can call them hypnotic trances and sleep. You know, it's just like on and off, we can say. But the most basic level of, of the conscious mind, we can say, is on and off. There's, there's much more le- different layers to that. But just to keep it simple, we're going to talk about on and off. But the subconscious mind is always on. So what you're trying to do with mantras and mirror work is basically retrain your subconscious mind to learn these things, to learn your new mantra, your affirmation. And because the brain's job, Marissa Pierce says it very succinctly. She says that the brain's job is to do whatever you tell it to do. So it will do whatever you tell it to do. So you have to be very clear what you want. An example being, if you are saying over and over again, my job is killing me, then your subconscious brain is like, well, we got to protect you. If your job is killing you, then we're going to make you late to work. We're going to like, because we don't want you to get in the car because your job is killing you. And then, you know, you start to do all these unconscious self-sabotaging behaviors to prevent you getting to work or going to work or wanting to go to work because your subconscious brain is trying to protect you from the thing that you said, which was that your job is killing you. So you have to be super, super careful with your verbiage because your subconscious mind is always listening and it's always with the agenda do what the boss says. Like we gotta, we gotta protect the boss at all costs. So you have to be very clear in what you're telling your subconscious mind. If for example, you know, I say, oh, I'm so tired of this. Oh, guess what? Chronic fatigue syndrome. You know, like you gotta be really careful with what you're saying. So there's that. It's like the Don Miguel Ruiz book, which is the four agreements. He talks about impeccability with your words. It's how important it is to be impeccable with your speech. And this is one of those cases. You really need to be careful with what you say and how you say it. Cause guess someone's always listening. That's your subconscious mind. So choosing a mantra is what I wanted to talk about today, because I think that it's very, very important if you're setting goals to choose the right words. Okay. Like you don't want to say, for example, um, you know, make it your mantra. I'm dying to be the best runner. <laughs> I mean, that would be like the worst kind of mantra ever, right? <laughs> so there's two different ways you can get a mantra. One would be if you're in transcendental meditation, you are given a mantra. Chris, do you want to kind of go into that? Yeah, I'll go into that real quick. Uh, so I am not a transcendental meditator, so I will um, proceed this with that. But effectively, the idea is that with Transcendental Meditation, you are given a secret mantra, and you're supposed to say it 20 minutes twice a day in a gentle effortlessness. And that what it does is you go in a certain yoga posture, and you're saying this, and you're repeating it over and over again. And what it does by making it secret is, is that, for one thing, it makes sure that the, the technique is kept pure from its original form and also it makes it so that it, I mean, it brings a specialness to it as well, which I think helps. But I, at one point, um, the, well, first the technique was originally, um, developed by the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And he was the one who was famous because he was the Beatles guru. 
which obviously he's a lot more than that. He has a, uh, which is a connection that both you and I have, Anna. He has a university in Iowa, and that university in Iowa is, I was going to go there for graduate school. And there are these two pagodas there that are actually there because people are paid to meditate. It's the only place I've ever seen where people are paid to meditate, like who are not ascetics. Like there are these two huge pagodas and basically you have a card and you and you clock in and then you go in and you meditate because they've done a lot of studies at this university that prove that if you have a certain number of people who are doing transcendental meditation in particular, because that's what they've done the studies are on, that you're actually able to affect the world around you. So it's like when you have the square root of 2% of a certain area, which is not that many people, it's about 8,000 people for the entire world. So that's not that many, like square root of 2% is actually not that much. You're actually able to affect conflict and they've done studies to prove this. So that is the power of mantra taken to a, you know, to another scientific Scientific, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it's important when you're choosing a mantra in English, for those of us who are not into TM, to choose the things that, to choose verbiage that is very congruent to your goals and to use like the now wordage. Mm-hmm. So for example, not like I'm going to be rich because then you're always in a state of waiting to be something that you're not right. You want to use a mantra in like, it is here now kind of statements such as like, I am now driving my new car. Right. I mean, I can, I can contribute to that. Right. So it, in the present tense, it needs to be in the present tense and there are no negative, there are no negative words because the negative words aren't here. So, so it's like, I don't saying I don't have cancer doesn't come across as comes across as I have cancer. Right. Like that's cancel, cancel, cancel. But the and then in terms of the present tense, I'm going to have health is not the state. Of right. Like I'm going to be health. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're I'm, saying I'm going to be healthy, you're not talking about the present moment. So you want you want to say stuff like I am now healing myself of cancer or I am now cancer free. Like you want to use it in present tense. Yes. Yeah. Affirmative language. Even even using the word healing is interesting, too, because. OK, so just a real quick um, story. One of my first kind of spiritual experiences after I got out of college was with um, a Kiwi who I ended up dating for five years. And the way that I met him, it was just, it was the craziest story, but I'm not, which I'm not going to tell today. I'm just going to say that it's a crazy story, but I basically met him. I sat next to him in a bar in Montana after the bar that we were supposed to go to went burnt down. Um, and we didn't even know it. And made friends with him and he came and visited me in New Jersey where I was working as a chemist at the time. And he told me the story about how he had basically been diagnosed with cancer when he was 20 and been given a prognosis of like three or four months and how he had never gone back to a doctor again and basically decided that he was going to get over his cancer using his mind, right? Using his, the power of his belief. And he used a bunch of, um, he was like very into the kind of hero cleansing tradition, right? So he did a whole bunch of cleanses and he switched to a strictly Ayurvedic diet. And obviously this is what worked for him. This may not work for everybody. I'm not saying, I'm not giving advice on this, but one of the key things that he did 
was he his mantra that he woke up to every day was every day in every way I'm getting better and better right I, I am getting better and better you could say you could you could take issue with that but every day in every way I am better and better like I and what it did was that it made it so that he could get out of bed every day when he was exceptionally ill when he could barely do anything because the toxicity in his body was so so high as he was cleansing out all this stuff and I always remember that as like to me the ultimate mantra of present tense and covering a lot of bases and state a statement of fact right every day in every way I am better and better I like it well well, coming into the mantra work, I want to talk about saying a mantra that you actually can believe, though. So we both have done the Uncompromised Life course by Marissa Peer, a famous hypnotherapist from the UK, and we'll link the course in the show notes. And in her course, she discusses the importance of I am enoughness. She says that the greatest plague affecting the world today is the sense of not being enough. She says no problem in the world cannot be made exceptionally better by believing that I am enough, right? So she says that the importance of the phrase, I am enough as a mantra or as a mirror talk is that your mind cannot argue with it. Like if you look in the mirror and you say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Part of your mind might be like, well, no, I don't. Like I know that I definitely have tried so hard to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And I've talked about it previously that when I get to the, I love you part, I have a lot of resistance to that because I don't necessarily love myself. But when I say I am enough, there's no resistance in me because it's true. I, I am enough. Like I am enough. And she says, it's important not to say I'm good enough or I'm great enough because then you're comparing yourself to others. And it's not about that. It's just being self-sufficient. Like you are enough. And so her main theme is I am enough. And I wanted to talk about I am enoughness today. But basically, you know, she talks about telling yourself I'm enough. I've always been enough. I will always be enough. And just by knowing I'm enough, everyone else knows it too. And you can say that in the mirror and you can say it over and over again. And she does a hypnosis in the course for you to really ingrain that into the subconscious. But what I really love about the I am enough thing is you can't really question it because, you know, it's not like saying I'm a supermodel, I'm a goddess. And then the mind's like, well, no, you're not. You have cellulite and, you know, I've seen you naked and, you know, or you're not a goddess. Like, you don't, where's your superpowers? So you, it's really important to like talk about to choose a mantra that you actually believe and then work from there. And I think I am enough is like a really great starter one. Uh, other, other variations could be, I am sufficient. Um, which I favor. Yeah. Mostly you favor my brain doesn't compute. I am enough. Like, I know that sounds really weird to strange, but I'm just like, I'm enough for what? Like my mind, you know, like I want to finish sentence, like it's some sort of OCD. So I am sufficient means, okay, I can, I can say that as a sentence with a period at the end and my mind right. doesn't question it. And another thing that I really like about what Marissa says, just to tr throw this little nugget in, is that she talks that, she says that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. So like alcoholics, instead of saying, I hate alcohol, I hate alcohol, you know, you can say, I am indifferent to alcohol. I am indifferent to alcohol or like cigarettes. You're trying to quit smoking. I hate cigarettes. Cigarettes disgust me. Well, no, make your mantra instead. I am indifferent to cigarettes. You know, you're trying to get over your ex and you're like, or I hate that motherfucker. You want to say instead, I am indifferent to that motherfucker. So there's those kind of things, which I really like. So now that we've kind of discussed how wonderful I am sufficient or I am enough is, 
we really want to talk about how you, listener, can choose a mantra that is perfect for you in the sense of your primary interest, which we have a whole episode donated to this on NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. But Chris today is going to quickly summarize the five different primary interests, which are the different ways that your brain sorts in, sorts stimulus. So well, I'm going to take it from here, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. So the primary interest for those who did not hear our last season's episode, and you can go into this and hear it much more in depth than that, are activity, information, thing, and place. And what this means... And people. Oh, gosh. People. Why did I just, I just... I literally am reading the list and I didn't read people, which is indicative of the fact that I am so not a people sorter. It's hilarious. But activity, information, thing, people, and place. And the idea you can... The way that you can think of this is that it's a way of sorting information. So when your mind wants... When your mind really jives with another person... It's often because there could be a lot of different reasons why, but a lot of the times it's because maybe you guys are sorting information in the same way. So you guys can talk about activities together or you're talking on a level in which you understand information. So here's a quick summary of what each of these means. So when you are an activity sorter, you think of the world in terms of what am I going to do today, right? It's a matter of saying, I am going to, it's not even just what I'm going to do today. It's just, what am I ever going to do? If you go on vacation, you may be the type of person who needs to uh, figure out what you, like how many tours you're going to go on or what activities you're going to do on every day. Like the idea of just like sitting and not doing anything may be difficult for you because it doesn't feel like, unless you make the activity, I am going to sit in my chair and I'm going to read this book today. You know, but being able to sort the world in terms of the activities that you do on any given day is uh, is a very good w indication that you are an activity sorter. Do you have anything to add, Anna, being a high activity sorter for that one? Yeah, coming from an activity sorting family, like I group in, I used to group in my head, my friends based on activities. Like I have my friends that I cook with, my friends that I clean with, my friends that I chat with, my friends that I meditate with. In my mind, I sorted even people for what activities I could do with them. And as a physical therapist, it was hilarious because it's like in my mind, I sorted my patients for what exercises we did together, you know? And um, my father, who was like the king of all activity sorters, we joke that if I put a little tracker on him and you tracked his movements, you would notice that from like 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. while the rest of the world is sleeping, he has clocked like seven miles just in the house, you know, running errands, doing this, doing that. And if you ask my father, how are you doing today? Like you ask him an emotional question. How are you today? You're looking for a good, bad, an ad you're looking for an adjective. He's going to give you an activity. Well, I'm washing the dishes right now. Like, no, dad, I didn't ask what you were doing. I asked how you were like, he can't even, he can't even talk about emotions. Like it's all activity for him and it's adorable. He's, 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 he's lived seven lives in one because of his activity sorting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But okay. So next we're going to go into information sorting. So information sorting is you sort the world in terms of the information that you can gather for it. So you may be the type of person, or you may know somebody like this, who doesn't seem to be able to compartmentalize, and sometimes they can, it just depends on where you are in the spectrum of the information sorting, but they 
you you bring up um the latest uh you bring up I'm I'm looking for something on my desk. You 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 bring up uh the latest technology and they will be able to tell you everything about it if they're interested in it. They will be able to tell you everything about it and you may not actually want to know all that information but they will be like, "Hey, oh, those pair of headphones, I found out about those headphones and I went and researched them and I did all this and I did all, you know, basically they don't have a way most information sorters think in a free flow of information. They don't chunk uh, they don't chunk up things in terms of activities or or anything like that and so it really is a very free flowing form of sorting the world and gathering as much information as you possibly can. Yeah. And then just two other things about them is they do get analysis paralysis, meaning they might know too much about something and then not make a decision. Like the Virgo is the quintessential information sorter. And then another thing is, is they don't necessarily read the room. Like one time my husband and I were at a dinner party and we were sat next to two different information sorters. And anytime we try to start a conversation, they just went off regurgitating facts and information to us about whatever. And we were like, this is so fucking boring. And my husband was like, get me the hell out of here <laughs> because they were just pure information. And, and, and that can be a lot if you're not an information sorter, because sometimes for an activity sorter, I'm only interested in information that I can apply to my life. Like I don't, mm. I don't want to know facts for facts sake. Whereas information sorters are just happy to study everything because they love information for information sake. And I don't, I, I need it to be functional. Yeah. All right. Next is thing. Thing sorters are the type of people who usually you will find that they find a lot of joy in accumulating things. So an example of this is they are the person who has an entire collection of cameras in their house uh, because they love things. Or she's they referring have, to my husband. I am. <laughs> <laughs> which I am so grateful for. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> he got into cooking, by the way. He started cooking. And let me just put it this way. In the last two months, since he's been cooking a lot, we have had a complete renovation of pans and cooking utensils. He's like on a mission to get the best of the best pot and then pan and then whatever. It's hilarious because when I approach cooking, it's about the doing and the tasting and the cooking. And for him, it's about the accumulation of the things you use when you cook. That is so interesting. Yeah. Uh, my children don't nor normally have set primary interests yet, but if my, if, if, if my child could, I would say that my son is a thing sorter because he very much so, um, well, either my son or my daughter often go towards thing because it feels like the thing is the thing that they accumulate. They don't even care about using it. They just care about having it which is very interesting. Um, <laughs> next is the people sorter. These and are fun people. I love yeah. these people. I know that there's, any, there's no better or worse of patterns, but I love the people sorters. Yeah. And for me, I have the most trouble with people sorters, um, mostly just because it's so different from the way that I sort the world. People sorters chunk all information around people and what a person has done. So a very great example of this is I was talking to a pastor one day and that pastor could literally tell me every single thing about every single person who was in his congregation. He would tell me, it, it not only was it like he wanted to know everything about me so that he could then create a container around me as a person and learn everything about me, but this was the most amazing thing. So the first time that I talked to him, he was like, he was, he was in the house that I moved into now 
I, the first time I talked to him, I was like, uh, I was talking about the plants and I was like, oh, you have a camellia out here. And I was like using all the Latin names cause I'm a super nerd with plants. And he was like, information sorter. I'm, I'm an information, I'm a system sorter, which, which is information activity in place. But anyway, that's not even in here. Let's not complicate things. Anyway, I do a lot of information. Only sorting. an information sorter would complicate things. <laughs> uh, of course they would. Of course. I mean, I'm information and activity primarily, but I love plants because I love talking to them and I love being able to like do whatever. So I like to know their names because it's only proper and nice to do that. <laughs> but he was like, I don't know anything about plants. The next time I talked to him, he was telling me plant names. And I was like, did he actually try and learn plant names between the last time that I talked to him and this time? Because he was basically knew that that was me as a plant. Sorry, I'm not a plant. That was me as a person. And I always just thought it was so weird because it was like maybe he had actually bothered to learn something because he knew that he could talk to me about that and he didn't have anything else to relate to me about. Like, Oh, totally. There's yeah. a pastor on my street and he is people, people, people. The pandemic was extremely difficult for him because he's all about the people. And, he, you know, people sort of really suffered a lot during this pandemic because they weren't able to to communicate and connect with the people that they love. Yeah. And, and sometimes people sorters can go to an extreme of being so concerned. I mean, I guess it just depends on what they're doing, but being so concerned with the emotional impact of something on somebody else, because they're taking into account the full person. They're like, I'm not going to send this email. I've had this in a work situation. I'm not going to send this email because I know that that person just had a difficult weekend and I don't know the impact it's going to have on them because they know everything about everybody. It sometimes paralyzes them to not do something because they know that they know the consequence. They, they know they don't treat people as activities or somebody who can receive an email. They think of the whole person and how they will receive that email. Like in a way, wouldn't that be great for lawmakers if they were all people sorters? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> going on to I think place. they probably are actually because they have to network. Right. And so you have to be really good at it and know a lot about a lot of people. So I actually wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Um, but I think there's other. No, I think they're things order. No, I think they're corrupt and they're things orders. But anyways, let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Moving to place. on. Uh, moving right last, along. And last is place. So place is where they are usually the type of person who, if you move any of their stuff, they're very upset. They have a very good sense of spatial awareness. And if you do, uh, they will know place names. They will know the grid of different things. They will be able to to know. They, they may come across as OCD in terms of their spacing. Like if you move a, a place sorter's cup, they'll get very upset. And they are usually very methodical about how they place things out in the world and, and how they see things. They're also very good at time because time is a place for them. And so they're able to to see time as this is a time in my life and I'm able to sort that as like a separate room in my life, like this time period. And um, Robbie, the shaman we work with all the time, she is a place sorter and her house is immaculate, but she also pulls information from spatial places. So if ever she's doing a, a process on you, she you can literally see her looking up and it's like she has a bookshelf in front of her her mind's eye and she's pulling the information from here and she's pulling the information from here because it helps her sort her mind and her spatial field within her mind. So people sorters. I mean, yeah. place sorters. Yeah. Love that. So having listened to that brief description, you might be able to know if your activity, information, thing, people, or place sorter. 
And that's going to help you with this next part of the mantras work that I want to talk about. Or if you don't know what you are, you can listen to the full episode on that and, and get a better sense. But I think listening to that, you can kind of pick yourself out of there, one or two of those. But anyways, going into the whole I am not enough thing that that Marissa Pierce says is the plague that is you know destroying our world on some level is the sense of I am not enough is you can recognize that your primary sorter might have a lot to do with what kind of mantra you you want to have. For example, if you feel that you are not enough and you're an activity sorter, you may have a sense that you have never done enough. Like you don't let yourself relax. You have the sense of like, you need to do X, Y, and Z to be worthy. You need to do X, Y, and Z to be enough. Okay. So maybe your mantra could be something like, I am enough. I've always been enough and I am doing enough. Okay. Let's say that you were an, a thing sorter and like hoarders would be an, an, an extreme version of not being enough and a things order because you're trying to fill the lack in you with things. So your mantra could be something like, I am enough, I've always been enough, and I have enough, or I will always have enough. Because the things sorters are trying to compensate for their sense of lack with things. If you are an information sorter and you feel like you're not enough, maybe your mantra could be something like, I am enough. I've always been enough and I know enough because information sorters always feel that they still need to learn more. Like I know someone who's an information sorter and she has like seven degrees. I'm not kidding. She has like four bachelors, three masters and a PhD or, you know, it's just like constantly needs to learn more and more and more and more and more. And information sorters like resist that temptation of like Googling the next fact, you know, or thinking that your only contribution to other people is the information that you can give them or the advice you can give them. And just, you know, I'm enough. I've always been enough and I know enough. Then sorters. So if someone is a people sorter and they feel like they are not enough, maybe they need to have an affair to know another person, or maybe they have the sense that their family just isn't full yet. And they just keep having more and more children, or maybe they have tons and tons of friendship circles and they just keep trying to get more and more friends or get more and more admirers, you know, that would be a way a, a people sorter might not feel enough or they need to get the earn the praise of someone else. So they could, you know, their mantra could be something like, I am enough. I've always been enough. And just by knowing I'm enough, everyone knows it too. Something like that. And then regarding the place sorters is I've noticed that if a place sorter feels like they're not enough. They have this sense that they have to constantly be moving because they never feel like they're home. Like they never feel like they're in the right place. And they'll like the place sorters who feel not enough, you'll know them from afar because they they move apartments or they move homes or they move cities every six months, every year, every two, three years. Like these people are constantly moving around. So their mantra could be something like, I am enough. I've always been enough. And I am my own home, you know, or I'm enough where I am, something like that. And my friend who, who did the uncompromised course with me is a place sorter. And she is one of these people who's constantly purging They're Like she's um, all constantly doing the tidying up stuff because she says she always wants to feel that at any given moment, she can pack her bags and just leave. And she's moved a lot. And she always feels like she's not in the right place. And she told me that after doing the I am enough course or the uncompromised life course that centers on the I am enoughness, she says that for the first time in her life, she feels home where she is. She doesn't feel like she has to leave because she's always felt that, nope, that she's not enough and it must be the place, you know? Yep. So 
I just think that that's really important. And I'm going to put it in the show notes, like, like corresponding mantras based on your primary sorting pattern. Yeah. So I want to move now into amulets and anchors. So what I want to talk about now is that what we were talking about before was that the subconscious mind never turns off. It's always on. So what we can do is we can program our subconscious mind in certain ways. For example, a long, long, long time ago, I had heard that you could subconsciously program your brain that like every time you look at the credit card, make it face side up and you sit there and you stare at the credit card and you say, every time that I am looking at a credit card face up, I am bringing money into my world. And you just keep doing that over and over again. And then from then on, every time you pay, you make an intention to look at the credit card and you're subconsciously syncing up to that credit card to tell yourself, I am bringing in more money. So you kind of sync up, like that's an example of an anchor. You've synced up that the, the face side up of the credit card is associated with that mantra of money is always coming to me. So even now, like whenever I go to the gas station and I get out my credit card to pay for my gas, I am extremely careful to always have it face up looking at me. Like I almost never look at that, that, that stripe on the back of my credit cards ever. Cause I'm like, let my credit cards look at me always. So, you know, that's a, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Funny, um, funny, what, but I do it. What do you do? Like, I, 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 like, that's why I don't use cash either, by the way, because you could do that with cash. Like every time the president on the cash looks at me, yeah. I'm bringing money. I want to. I want to do it in uh, online because I do so much online stuff, and it doesn't ever actually feel like real transactions. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like real money. Maybe you could just do it even with a dollar sign. Ooh, could you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Every time you see a dollar sign, you're reminding yourself that money's coming to you. You can do whatever you want, but you yeah. make it an anchor and you you consciously do it for about 21 days, and then the brain just syncs it up and it's subconsciously there, which is great. That's an example of an anchor. So an amulet would be a necklace or anything that kind of you can you can kind of chart we can talk about crystal charging you can charge any object like smells are one example that's not an amulet that's an anchor but smells can be an anchor where like every time I study for this test I'm gonna spray lavender in the air and then right before I take my exam I'm gonna spray lavender on my pencil so I'll know you know there's there's that, that you know you've heard of that one but like, for example, during the I am enough course, I decided to buy a necklace that had a special meaning to me. And I'm one of those people who, when I fidget, I, I hold my necklace and rub it. I just knew that that about, about me. So I'm like, I'm going to choose an anchor, which is a necklace as an amulet, which I know will sink to me. So when I do my morning mirror work every day, a couple times a day, and I'm doing it for 21 days, I look in the mirror and I hold my necklace. As I say it, I say, I am enough. I've always been enough. I will always be enough. And just by knowing I'm enough, everyone knows it too. And my husband is enough because I also kind of do fault finding with my husband because he's the closest person in my life that is like me. So I always throw in there and Eric is enough. And so I, I've been doing that. And what I'm doing is, is I'm consciously holding the necklace when I say it. And throughout the day, whenever I remember to say my mantra, I hold my necklace as I say it. Why am I doing that? I am charging this amulet on a subconscious level to sync up with my goal. And the reason being is that in 21 days, when I kind of forget and I slowly go back to life and it's not on the forefront of my conscious mind, every time I touch my necklace, I'm going to subconsciously remember that I'm enough. So I am, in essence, training my subconscious mind to match up with my conscious through a physical object, in this case, it being a necklace, aka amulet. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Can I talk about anchors now or did you have anything to add? Oh, no, I was just going to actually add that I came to the realization while you were talking about um, 
the fact that I, so my daughter, I have a college ring and I felt, uh, I've been having dreams recently that I, my wedding rings are on the wrong hand. And I think that's some sort of multidimensional dream, which I have a lot, but like I keep, I was taking my rings off in the middle of the night and they would get lost in my bed. Like it was this really strange thing. And Lyra was playing with my jewelry box and she saw a ring that was my college ring and she handed it to me. And so it fits perfectly on my wedding ring on my other hand. And ever since she's done that, I haven't been wanting to take off my ring. And I just realized that I like, basically she started doing this. Like she gave this to me right around the time that I was doing all the work about being lovable and being successful and all these sorts of things. And obviously like my college, you know, is a represent graduating from college was representative of some sort of success or some level of success for me. And like having it there is like been a subconscious without even me knowing it. It's like the universe conspired to give me a, um, a talisman that reminded me of the fact that I was capable of doing a lot and then reminded me the fact that I was enough. Right. And, I, and mm-hmm. without even, I mean, that's what college rings it. are. It's, yeah. a, it's an homage to your, your success. Yeah. So I yeah. think choosing the appropriate amulet for you is, so is to pick a symbol that has meaning to you. Like the symbol I chose, I took a goddess quiz online and I was generated the right kind of goddess necklace, you know, which was really cool. And I'll put it in the show notes, but like choose an amulet that has special meaning. Look for you, it's the college ring. For me, it's this goddess necklace. And for someone else, it might be something else. It might be their wedding ring, which represents love, or it might be an earring their mother gave them, which reminds them that they're overcoming whatever. But, you know, you can choose an object that has specific meaning to you. And then the other important thing that I think, this is just my own spin on it, is know what your fidget patterns are. If you're the kind of fidgety person who does play with your rings, make That's your me. amulet a ring. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who plays with your earrings, do earrings. If you're like me and you're a necklace, a necklace toucher, get a necklace or a bracelet. Even if you're a person who like flips their hair, you could or easily- Or your beard. That's what I was thinking. Luke does his beard. Beard. Yeah, just- program your beard to be a subconscious reminder of your conscious goals. And you can do it for any kind of goal. It doesn't have to be I'm enough. It could be about, you know, a job goal, a fitness goal, whatever. So that's what I want to say about the amulets. And then I wanted to go into anchors, specifically musical anchors. So music is another wonderful resource for the subconscious mind. And I'll give you an example. As a physical therapist, sometimes I work with people who have Alzheimer's and they are not in this present world. They are somewhere in the past. And one of the best ways to pull them into the present is to play a song from their past. So if someone has Alzheimer's and I got to get a sense of like how old they were when they were 30 or 40, you know, in their twenties or thirties. And then I usually ask a family member, like, what was their favorite music then? And usually if I can get an artist even better, but I will then play music for them from that time period. And believe it or not, they, they like come out. They like, they open their eyes, they get more involved. Like I had a woman who was almost catatonic and she loved gospel music. So I figured out like what gospel music sounded like when she was in her twenties and thirties. Uh, you know, I did the math, I Googled it real quick and I started playing that music and I got her to stand up and, and dance with me. And it was just beautiful. So music is very beautiful. And also people who are recovering from stroke and they can't even speak. Sometimes they can sing but they can't speak. So that's oh, wow. also, I just, I just want to say that like music is very special. So 
going into that, you can make me a song, your musical anchor. So let's say you're doing your mirror work for 21 days. I remember, and I'm going to put some links in the show notes of my favorite anchor songs. So pick a song that is really speaks to you about your goals. Marissa Pierre talks a lot about let's get it started by the black eyed peas. And I remember when I was trying to get into shape, get back into shape, I made that my anchor, which was let's get it started. So I would consciously do my mirror work and my goals and my mantras with that song in the background. And I was so dedicated to getting back in shape that I made it my ringtone. So it would just randomly play throughout the day and it would re-inspire me. Like I'm going to stick to my fitness goals. And then when I would work out, I would play that song. So it's like, you can pick an anchor again. And then when you hear it, you're like, your subconscious mind is like, yeah, we got this. Let's get it started. Also, we talked about the primal wounds last season, and you can choose an appropriate song based on your primal wounds. Like for me, it was Alicia Keys, Ain't Got You Babe, If I Ain't Got You Babe, which is all about like, my life would be nothing without you. And I had, I imagine that that song was singing to my inner child that I could be nothing without myself because the problem of the abandonment wound is they focus too much on other people saving them and we have to save ourselves. So that was a wonderful anchor when I was doing healing on, on abandonment wound to just keep playing that song and tell myself when this song plays, I'm healing my inner child. I am coming home to my inner child. My life would be nothing without me. So that's just another side note, how you can find songs that really touch you and use them as an anchor for your healing or your goal setting. Yeah. It also gives you a lot of access into different pieces of the world, of your inner world. Um, like I know Luke always tells me about the Red Hot Chili Peppers and how the real, you know, Luke is sober, as I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast. And that to him is a representation of kind of the heyday of his non-sober, of, of his non-sober days. And, you know, he can use that as an access point. I've, I've used albums that I've listened to boyfriends with if there was something that was unhealed with them to get back to that place so it allows it it allows you to time travel in a different way obviously time travel is obviously another way of saying it anchors you in a time and it it really is amazing how it works in terms of you know there's an entire yogic one of the you know we talk about hatha yoga people hear about that a lot you may hear about raja yoga or all these other different types of yogas because there isn't just the one that you do asanas but there's also a thing called nod nod yoga and nod yoga is the yoga of music and it uses music to get into subconscious um trances in order to be able to you know so you're singing you're singing a mantra and maybe it's in sanskrit or something like that so you're combining the music with the mantra and the music and the mantra together are able to to do deep things for you. All of the chakras have yantras. They have um, sounds associated with them, which then can allow you to get into a chakra. So you can sing the note and you can sing the Sanskrit word in this case in order to be able to access different parts of your bodies and use the music as a gateway for doing that. I love that. I also love sometimes Googling the origin of a song. Like I remember when we were, we were working, talking about divine grace, like just receiving grace, which is like the feminine form of pursuing enlightenment versus the masculine form, which is like meditating and, and, and changing your behavior. And the feminine one is just receiving it. And for some reason, the song and it stoned me by Van Morrison kept coming into my mind and it stoned me over and over and over again. I was just wanting to sing that song while we were discussing this stuff. And for a couple of weeks, I just only wanted to listen to that song. So I Googled the 
the lyrics, the meaning behind the lyrics, and it was fascinating. It was about him getting Shakti as a 12-year-old little boy. He talks about, without me having any idea what the song was about or anything, it was about him and his friend going fishing when they're 12. And on the way home, they run into this man who had two glasses of water. He's like, I've been waiting for you. And he went in to hit the man's house and time stopped. And, and he said it was a life-changing experience. Now, he doesn't say it was Shakti, but I mean, come on. That's so crazy. I was just talking about Van Morrison because Van Morrison was highly influential to so many artists today. So I wonder if it's like one of those things where they seated him with the Shakti so that he could then inspire others, you know, because you, you hey, have, I have a theory. Yeah. I have a theory that a lot of people, actors and actresses and singers that have broad, 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 you know, power or, you know, exposure. A lot have of reach, yeah. A lot of reach have been exposed to Shakti in their life because they have that resonance in their voice to help the world. I truly believe that a lot of actors and actresses and singers have something special in their voice that it was destined to be that way so that more people could hear it. That's yeah. my own theory. Yeah, yeah. You almost become the muse of inspiration for spiritual growth, right? Yeah. I mean, look at Angelina Jolie. She just emanates angel energy to me. You know, I mean, that's might sound crazy, but- and Beyonce is totally witch energy and amazing. That song Bigger is like the is like one of my anchor songs that I like always used to like when I want to to see my kids and and see them as want to see their higher selves, you know. Yeah. And I think she used to have like a stage name that she would channel. Like she actually talks about channeling someone when she would go on stage. So, I mean, I think a lot of these musicians are on this planet for healing. So, I think that that's also important. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cool. That's awesome. All right. I think hopefully there's some nuggets in here to help and, and check out our show notes on our website. Cause they will not have as detailed notes as the podcast app you're using. And there'll be great links to other episodes and mantra ideas and songs. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anna. I All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of this spiritual fix. Have you checked us out on TikTok? There's some amazing things happening over there where we extend the conversation that we have here and give bite-sized nuggets about what can help. Follow us at this.spiritual.fix on TikTok. Thanks and have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.